You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. November 15th, Year of Our Lord 2022, nothing perfect lasts forever, except in your memory. The regular season, almost ready to wind down, except for the fact that we got two really, really big weekends coming up. We are jam-packed, high atop a prepared and anxious downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I got the latest intel on the Auburn coaching search moments from now. I have got full week 12 previews and predictions all throughout the show. We got a brand new JP poll. The college football playoff committee decided to wait until who knows what hour tonight to release their rankings. Not us. We don't move aside for meaningless, what month is it? Yes, November, college basketball games. We soldier on. Also, Ramen Noodle Express, I've got like four or five added best bets tonight. Some lines moved today. I didn't anticipate it, but they did, and so we're going to move on those. Hohenwald, Tennessee is tuned in. Ripley, West Virginia watching us. Wilkes-Barre? or Wilkes Bar, as they pronounce it where I'm from, is tuned in in Pennsylvania. And Atlanta, Georgia, we are less than 1,000 away from 150,000 subs. In fact, let me go get an up-to-date number. And as I'm looking that up, I need to let you know something. This Thursday, so the next show we do, is going to be a little bit different. Because I have no interest in flying to California Friday, so I'm flying out there Thursday night to spend the entire day out there Friday. And therefore, we need to move the start time for Thursday's show up just a little bit, like an hour and a half. So we will start the Thursday night show. If you're interested in watching live, 6.30 Eastern, 5.30 Central. Of course, the replay will still be available, etc. We are sitting at 149.056. So we are less than 1,000 subs away from 150,000 subs on the YouTube channel. And when we get there, what a day it will be. I fully intend on us being there by next week. Fully intend on it. Director Colin is jacked about it. And so is the rest of the staff. And please don't disappoint them. If you're not doing it for me, do it for them. Thank you so much for being here. We got a lot to get. We, we got many different places we need to snake our way through in the world of college football tonight. Here's where I want to start. I know that the Auburn job is open, right? Colin, don't even start the uh, end cut yet. The Auburn job is open. But we have found when we do this show, Coaching searches fascinate everyone. So I had one of you ask the other day, why are you focusing on the Auburn coaching search? Well, number one, it's the most high-profile opening out there right now. Number two, our traffic indicates that everyone's interested in it because it's a keystone opening. And what that means, obviously, is there's a chain reaction. For example, I'll talk about this in a second. If your guy at fill-in-the-blank program takes the Auburn job, well, then guess what? That job's open now. And then when someone takes that job, someone down in tier three has an opening. So this is a very big deal for the sport. It's not just a big deal for Auburn or even the SEC. It's a big deal for the sport. Okay, with that in mind, let's dive into this. 
the Auburn coaching search. I talked to a lot of people about this yesterday, a few more this morning, trying to get as good a feel on this and a gauge on this as I can. The first thing I've picked up on, though, is there's a massive disconnect, in my humble opinion, between the reality and the perception of the quality of the Auburn job. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I've already gone over it, but just to quickly reiterate, I've found that in the regular fanosphere, if you will, uh, people who haven't been privy to the inner workings of Auburn perceive it as a second-class job. Uh, They perceive it as a dead-end job. Uh, That is not what Auburn is at all. And please don't misunderstand me when I say that's not just me talking. That is the opinion of a lot of people within the coaching industry, the agent industry. They understand what Auburn could be. I think, I think John Cohen, the new AD there, obviously understands what Auburn could be. That's why he came there. I think he's going to do a heck of a job packaging that and selling that vision. And it's not too hard. Did you check out their game last week? Hey, they're going to play Western Kentucky this week, where they're only favored by five, by the way. Check that game out, too. You'll have passion oozing out of Auburn in all directions. And it's obvious the passion's there, but also the infrastructure's there. And it hasn't been in the past. So anyway... With that out of the way, I'm just saying that to make you understand there aren't very many guys out there who, if offered the Auburn job, are turning it down because you can't win there. They may have their own reasons. They may be happy where they are. They may not like the SEC, whatever. But they're not turning it down because Auburn doesn't offer everything it takes to win. And they haven't in the past necessarily recently, but they will in the future. We've already gone over that. NILs there, facilities now as of about five minutes ago, are there. I think the transfer portal is going to be very kind to Auburn if they get the right guys. So where are we standing right now? I know Lane Kiffin is the hot name. Shirt got a little tangled there, sorry. I know Lane Kiffin's the hot name in this whole thing. I agree with that. So that's legitimate smoke. If I had to just guess today on who Auburn's head coach will be week one of next year, I guess my guess would be Lane Kiffin. Several things to keep in mind here. We've seen coaching searches play out before. You and I have both been, uh, both been through these before. Intel on a coaching search can be both legitimate and incomplete. And what I mean by that is you've obviously got the Auburn side of the coaching search, and then you've got the side of a coaching search that is the candidates. And let's say there are four candidates that are involved heavily, and no one from the Auburn side is talking, and only one or two of the candidates are willing to talk. Only one or two of the candidates have loose lips in their camp. Well, there could be some legitimate information coming out from the candidate that in reality is running number three in the pecking order. But since there is a precious lack of information out there and the camp of candidate number three is the one talking, all of a sudden, candidate number three sounds very viable, unbeknownst to everyone, maybe even including those in that camp, that's not the first choice but you don't know that because no one at Auburn's talking. And I'm speaking generically here. I'm just giving you a little cautionary tale how these things have played out in the past and how you know that feeling like I do when you wake up one morning and someone has made a hire and it's not the guy you thought it was going to be. That's one, one potential reason why you get shocked and misled and some people are made fools of. That's why I very, very much steer clear of the definitive statement when we're talking about coaching searches. Number two, Candidates do not always know which other candidates are in play. This is a case-by-case basis. 
Now, sometimes agents are representing multiple candidates that are up for the same job. Jimmy Sexton represents Lane Kiffin. Jimmy Sexton represents about 80% of the sport and candidates that would even vie for this job. So that's not out of the realm of possibility, but case by case, of course, there are some times where I'm up for the job and you're up for the job and we don't even know that the other is in play. Like I said about LSU, no one knew Brian Kelly was up for that job. At least no one who was talking knew that Brian Kelly was up for that job until he got hired. And so you probably had some folks feeling pretty confident about their chances of landing that job right up until they didn't get it. And all of a sudden they say, they hired who? Kelly? And then they call their agent. How come you didn't tell me Kelly was in the, in the mix for this? And the agent says, I didn't know. Or agent probably lies, but the agent probably says, I didn't know. Or, or we just found out too late. So that's another thing to think about. Number three, and this is where I'm cautious. Every bit of intel I've gotten suggests that the Lane Kiffin Auburn stuff is real. But there's always a caveat on this. Why are rumors allowed to persist? Kiffin hasn't shot it down. Auburn hasn't shot it down. Ole Miss hasn't shot it down. I've seen this happen before. Again, to, to, to be clear, I think it's legitimate and have reason to think that. But we've seen times before where there is a prevailing rumor out there about a certain candidate and a certain job and no one shoots it down. And what does the common mind take no one shooting it down to mean? The common mind thinks, well, that means it must be true. If it wasn't true, people would shoot it down. Sometimes maybe so. Might I suggest to you there are also two other possibilities. Sometimes it's a very convenient smokescreen. If I'm John Cohen and I have no interest in hiring Lane Kiffin, but everyone thinks I'm going to, keep talking as much as you want to because you're providing a lot of smoke and a lot of haze over the process. Meanwhile, I've interviewed four other candidates and you haven't spoken their name because you're focused on one guy. That's convenient for me. So one of the reasons that those rumors are allowed to persist is because they serve as a perfect smokescreen. What do we also know to be true? Another reason why rumors persist sometimes is because that candidate has representation using those rumors that aren't being shot down as leverage against their current employer. Now, none of that I know to be happening in this particular case. I'm just saying we've seen folks get burned by it in the past. Maybe you've been burned by it in the past. Maybe I've uh, been burned by it in the past thinking I know one thing when in reality it was another thing. So I just want to say, again, I think Kiffin and Auburn is legit. I think he's the leading candidate. I have no reason not to believe that. But I do have very reason to be guarded and careful about this. And the other thing I would encourage you to keep in mind is I know you have a thirst for information every hour. But the reality is there is not new information to be had in coaching searches every hour. So the thirst may be 24-7, no pun intended. The information is not that plentiful. And this is where folks in our industry sometimes end up losing some credibility because you just make stuff up which is what we're not gonna do. But absent some new intel, what do you do? Well, you just go put your 47th hot board out there and because you know it would generate some traffic, you just add a couple of names on there. Why? Because your cousin texted you about them a few hours ago. In reality, they're not in play, but oh well, I'm not saying they're gonna get hired. I'm just saying they're candidates. Just be careful with that. Just because someone's not giving you new information every five minutes doesn't mean they're not plugged in. Actually, it's quite the opposite. If you want to know the hallmark 
of someone who's pretty plugged in on these things, they don't give you a ton of updates. If the fact is Auburn's going to hire someone after the end of the regular season, what's going to change in the next 48 hours? What's going to change in the next 72 hours? Now, I'll tell you where it gets really interesting, and you will never get a peek behind the curtain on this. And I have been able to get somewhat of a peek, but you're never allowed to tell the stories, which sucks. Maybe one day when someone retires, they'll, they'll free us up to tell the stories. But what's the most interesting about coaching searches is when a head coach via back channels has agreed in principle to become the head coach somewhere and they start constructing their staff also via back channels, that would fascinate you. That would be worth its own Netflix special. Because that, to me, if you were to really see the sausage get made, that would be more intriguing than the process that leads up to the head coach being hired. Because that's pretty straightforward. You can imagine how that happens. I think the process of putting a staff together would be a little more interesting. And then, you know, when you decide on your DFO or director of player personnel, and then those people have to go tell their current employer, sometimes out of the blue, in the heart of recruiting season, hey, I'm out. It's not easy. Those conversations are not easy. Oftentimes, they're also taking other folks with them, and it can be very uncomfortable, as you can imagine. So if it does come down to Ole Miss and Auburn, let's just circle back to this as we wrap this up. If it does come down to Lane Kiffin being the guy, the number one candidate, and hypothetically, it is him looking at an offer from Auburn versus a fresh offer from Ole Miss. One of the things that I've been told consistently over the past month is facilities edge Auburn, and that's not a shock to anyone. Uh, money edge Auburn, that's not a shock to anyone. If it comes down to either of those things, you're choosing Auburn. There's an edge Auburn has here that hardly anyone I have heard has spoken about, and it comes down to state law. That guy right there wants what any coach wants. He wants the long-term deal. He wants the 10-year lifetime-changing deal that Jimbo has and that a lot of his peers have. You can't have it in Mississippi. And it's not Ole Miss's fault. It's not Mississippi State's fault. It is state law. Those employees, those state employees cannot get contracts past, I think it's either four or four and a half years. Now, you can talk all you want to about how, well, there could be special carve-outs and special referendums. Not like they could do legally at Auburn or any of a number of other institutions. Auburn can offer them a 10-year deal tomorrow if they wanted to. Ole Miss cannot do that. And so they're playing the game with one hand tied behind their back already, and there may be a few fingers on the other hand tied behind their back. That matters. I've been consistently told that matters in this whole thing, so just keep an eye on that. I told you folks in Tampa, I told you folks in West Virginia, it's going to be a big weekend for you. And it's not just because you have really good football to watch. Academy Sports and Outdoors, it seems like they open a new store every five minutes. If you don't have one, just wait. You will have one. Tampa, got a grand opening coming this week. You know the drill. I'll give you the address Thursday. You know the drill, though. If you prove you went there, 10 of you are going to qualify for Chalai of Supremacy to be sent to you. West Virginia, just outside of Huntington, you got a new academy coming this weekend. Academy Sports and Outdoors, now you know about our relationship with Academy. They are our exclusive partner. Look around. As I tell you often, Director Colin has two mirrors back here. We call them mirrors. You would call them monitors. But he got two mirrors behind me. But we got one logo in there because Academy has filled both of them. And you're watching and listening for free, and that's because Academy did that. Look, I was in New Orleans last week, and it's going to shock you to know I do not have a deep wardrobe. 
my, it's very thin. Okay, the depth chart in my closet is nothing to write home about. So I got down there. It's 78 on Friday. It feels great. I went to a state park just north of Lake Pontchartrain. Beautiful. It was not beautiful Saturday. It was gross. It was upper 40s, misting in the morning, and I did not pack a jacket. What did I do? I headed over to Academy Sports and Outdoors and had a plethora to choose from. I pull a Magellan jacket off the rack. I think I'm going to pay $80 to $100 for it, and it was like 25 bucks. Frankly, I don't know how these people make a profit, but they do. And they're enough in the black where they can partner with us. So all's well that ends well. So Academy Sports and Outdoors, they got your hookup, whatever you need. I don't care if it's workout equipment. I don't care if it's a grill. I don't, whatever. They've got it for you. And you're helping the show in the process. And if you can't get there in person, academy.com is your hookup. All right, let's roll on. They're watching us in Macon, Georgia, Choctaw, Louisiana, Groveland, Florida. We really appreciate you guys. I am going to be at the Rose Bowl this Saturday. Look at the smile on my face. The Every Given Saturday Tour is headed to Los Angeles, California, Marina Del Rey, to be exact, this Thursday. And then I will just motor my way right up to Pasadena on Saturday for USC versus UCLA. And this thing, and I want you to listen closely, is sold out. We got a sellout at the Rose Bowl. And I saw a report that it's going to be the largest student section that they have ever filled at the Rose Bowl for a UCLA game, like over 16,000 students. That is, that's enough kids to pack most arenas and then some. So good on UCLA. I know it doesn't hurt that you're playing your crosstown rivals. I know you guys will travel well from Southern Cal, but this is going to be really fun. So my impression of the Rose Bowl will be that of a sold-out venue. And that's all I'm going to remember. You show me these pictures of, of open sections 15 minutes before kickoff, won't mean anything to me. I'll see it sold out. Every given Saturday tour effect. Don't think we didn't have something to do with that. Uh, USC clinches the Pac-12 championship berth with a win. They are in the title game if they win. UCLA, they need to win out, and they need Utah to beat Oregon. That game is going to happen after this game. In fact, it'll start while this game's still going on. I am sensing something. You can tell me if you feel it too. I'm sensing people selling on UCLA a little bit, which is understandable. They just lost to Arizona, right? This is why we always preach, on this show at least, judge performances. Judge, judge teams on that day. Don't judge teams by record. If you were to not watch UCLA Arizona and you just saw the final score, you would say, wow, UCLA lost at home to a sub-500 team, which is all true. I watched the game. Arizona played exceptional football. UCLA did not play a bad brand of football, is what I'm trying to tell you. So I watched it, and I said, that's got a lot more to do with Arizona than UCLA. Good for them. It's, it's just a win. That's what it was. It was a really good football game, and it was a win. Well, some folks can't leave it at that. And so some folks had to say, oh, they're done. They're not done at all. I mean, they're a, they're a two-and-a-half-point dog against USC with a chance to still play for a Pac-12 championship. That's what they are. And so I'm not selling on them at all. They played a very high-level quarterback last week. They will again this week. So let's dive into the matchup a little bit because what I don't want you to forget, lost in all the noise of UCLA getting upset last week, is USC drummed Colorado. They lost Travis Dye for the season. And he was well on his way to another 1,000-yard rushing season, probably 11 or 1,200 if they went to the Pac-12 title game in a Rose Bowl game or, or a playoff. Who knows? And so they lost him, and I'm looking at Austin Jones now. 
Uh, he's carried the ball 52 times this year. He's averaging over six yards per carry. It's just been in a lot more limited action, and they're going to need him. They're going to need him big time. Because as you dive into the matchup a little bit here, there's one side of this equation that really heavily leans toward UCLA. you got to dive a little bit, though. So explosive plays in general, I think, will decide this. Sometimes it's third down. Sometimes it's turnover. Sometimes... You know, it's, it's a specific position grouping versus another posi- uh, specific position grouping. I think the explosive play metric is one that is talked about a lot, 20-plus yard game on a play. UCLA, where are they at right now? They're second in the Pac-12 in that category, seventh in college football. USC, first in the Pac-12 in explosive plays per game. They are fifth in FBS. Both of them, way up there. So you would think, number one, that screams a lot of points, and it probably does. But as you dig a little bit more into the defensive side of things here, that's where UCLA has a shot now if they play up to their statistical profile against explosive plays. They are eighth fewest nationally, not just in the Pac-12. They've allowed the eighth fewest 20-plus yard plays nationally And the thing about leaning on the chunk play is we've seen it a couple times with USC this year. When you can't get it, your offense can grind to a halt. Think about the Oregon State game earlier this year, for example. You turn it on, and it's like, Colin, can you show me USC's schedule? I know it was a low-scoring game. I can't remember exactly how low-scoring. But you turn that thing on, and you think, well, USC's got all this firepower offensively. How in the world are they sitting here, and it's a 17-14 to game? Oregon State led that thing 14 to 10 or 14 to 7 late. Well, the reason is because you're not getting those chunk plays. And that's that's how easily your production can fall off a cliff. So if UCLA can just hold up their end of the statistical profile bargain there, that's a big deal. Here's how USC flips the script, even if all that plays out according to plan. And that is obviously turnovers. We haven't spoken about it recently because it's just become a familiar theme with USC. You kind of take it for granted but they still lead FBS in turnover margin. They're plus 17. So you can do all you want to in the category of limiting explosive plays, and you can record a few yourself. You get down to the red zone, you turn the ball over, USC ends up plus two, plus three, doesn't matter. You're still gonna lose the game. Let's take a look at what the model thinks. The Vegas number right now is USC minus two and a half. For the record, I think the Trojans were still going to be a slight favorite, even if UCLA won last week against Arizona. I don't think it tilted the line all that much. Our model is at a pick. We think with home field factored in for UCLA, and also they're in in wounded animal mode now. UCLA is. Got to win this thing. We think that it's a pick. I'm telling you where I'm leaning here, and I made the decision about five minutes ago. Somehow I think UCLA is going to find a way to win this game. When you look at the teams they've already played, they've already played Oregon. They've already played Utah and beat Utah. USC played them and lost. Now one was on the road, one was at home. I think that UCLA group's a tad bit more battle-tested than Southern Cal. I think they're in a more desperate position than Southern Cal. I think they match up well along the lines of scrimmage. And I do like that that defense can somewhat limit the big play. Right now, the odds to win the Pac-12 championship USC is the favorite, but Oregon's right there with them, and Utah's right there with them. So it's basically a three-way tie, plus 200, and then a couple of them at plus 210. And then you fall off a cliff. UCLA's all the way down at plus 1,000. That would, 
move significantly, obviously, if UCLA and Utah both win this Saturday. So it's not a, that strong of a feel, but I'm going to lean UCLA to win it, and I'll take the points if you want to offer me the points. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. New JP polls out, or so they tell me, you know. And they normally don't lie to me about this because I have to turn it into them. New JP poll out right before the college football playoff rankings. This is the week 12 edition. And what we have here, what we have is a failure to communicate between myself and the model. Because there's one team, and I think you know who I'm talking about, but if you don't, I'll tell you in a second, where I'm just not hearing it from the model anymore. Every other team you're about to see in this poll is exactly where the model says they should be power rated, not ranked, based on who would be favored over who on a neutral field tomorrow. But I'm not having any of Texas. So I'll talk about them when I get there. Let's take a look at 25 through 21. Um, we, got, we got some teams that are surging late. So that's the first thing you need to know. Don't, don't punt on all these teams because teams like FSU, for example, they're just powering up the rankings or the ratings. So Minnesota's at 25. They play Iowa this Saturday. Floyd of Rosedale, the Floyd, as he's known around here, is on the line. Wisconsin, pretty much the same place they were last week. They're at 24. Baylor, trending in the wrong direction. They're at 23. Mississippi State, pretty steady at 22. Okay, now let me tell you what you're looking at with Texas here. Texas has fallen 14 spots to 21. I want to let you know, this ratchet model over here wanted me to put Texas at 9. After another abysmal performance, they wanted me to put Texas at nine. I'm not going to do it. And so instead, that is a manual override, which I never do. I did it with Tennessee at the beginning of the year and shouldn't have because the model was right on Tennessee. I'm doing it with Texas here. I, I am not putting them in the top 10. I know that, that FPI still has them in the top 10. Uh, Connolly, all, all the advanced guys, Rob Bourne, they all have them in the top 10. And I know why they have them there because my model has them there. I'm just not going to stand for it. So I put Texas at 21. And I want to stress, I did. The model didn't. I put Texas at 21. Sue me. Uh, let's go top 20. Everything else is according to what the model says. UCF surging at the right time. I think that loss against East Carolina did them a lot of good earlier this year. Oregon State still there at 19. Notre Dame still there at 18. UCLA didn't drop them a lot. I told you. Performance-wise, they played fine. They just caught a red-hot Arizona on any given Every given Saturday, and any given Saturday. Ole Miss is 16. Didn't drop them a whole lot either. And now we enter the top 15. Washington is exploding. Washington 
I was surprised the model had him at 27 last week, frankly. And there's, since there's not a big point gap between you know, 10 and 30, it's very easy. If we bump you up a couple of points, you jump from being unrated to number 15. Uh, Utah is right there at 14. Florida State, man, look at that. Florida State is up to 13. We think they are one of the 15 best teams in the country right now. So Mike Norvell, what a testament to them at Florida State. They're finishing strong. Kansas State's there. May very well be headed to the Big 12 championship game. Clemson's still 11. They were unchanged from last week. Top 10 time. I don't, I don't have the drum roll effect, so I'm not going to try. Uh, LSU d- didn't change much. Some people thought LSU was going to fall because of what we saw at Arkansas. Well, we got what we thought we would get from them at Arkansas. So again, the model puts you somewhere. Then it spits out a projection. Then you largely fulfill the projection. It's not going to drop you because it is judging you based off its projection, not based off the public overwhelmingly thinking LSU was going to win by double digits. That doesn't matter because it wasn't based in reality. Uh, TCU is up three spots to number nine. I think you probably look at that and think TCU is too low. I will tell you, we're higher on TCU than most of the advanced guys are. So if anything, take it up with them, not me. Uh, Oregon, down a couple of spots. There's, there could be something going on with Oregon that would affect this, but I can't confirm it. So I'm going to leave them at eight right now, and I'll talk about it later when we do their game prediction. USC's at seven. Penn State is a very, very solid team right now. And I think it surprises a lot of people because they're, you know, they're already past their opportunity games. They lost to Michigan. They lost to Ohio State, which, by the way, doesn't prove they don't belong at number six. It proves they don't belong above either of those teams, per se, but both of those teams are power rated above them. So just losing to teams rated above you doesn't prove anything other than, yeah, you're probably where you need to be. And then we got them at six. Uh, James Franklin has got them playing really, really good ball. And it's out of the spotlight, but they got them playing really good ball right now. Top five. We have a top five that is unchanged for only the second time this year. It goes Bama five, Tennessee four, Michigan three, Ohio State two, Georgia one. You're, you're just not going to get a lot of movement here this time of year. Now, here's where I differ from Vegas. Uh, Vegas would still have Alabama above both Michigan and Tennessee. Bama would be favored neutral against Michigan or Tennessee tomorrow. You think of that whatever you will. I'm telling you that's the way it works. We dinged Alabama a little bit more. Our model did, so it's very, very fractional. But we would have Bama. The model would spit out Tennessee over Bama. The model would spit out Michigan over Bama uh, on a neutral field, point spread-wise. Now, who would I bet if it did that? TBD. I mean, I got a game coming up in a second where the model favors one team, and I'm going to go the other direction. So there you go. Top 10 there. The top five are unchanged. Penn State, surprise probably to a few people. I know good and well. If I put Penn State and USC on a neutral field, every single one of you out there, sans about 10%, would lean USC. That's fine. I'm just telling you what the model thinks. And the model made us a lot of Christmas money last week and probably will again this week if I know the model like I think I do. Just because we're on the outs right now doesn't mean I don't still respect the model. Kind of like Jimbo and Saban. You know, I can trash talk the model, but as it gets closer to time for us to get along, I can praise the model. I'm, I'm man enough to do that. Are you, model? I don't know about that. Very silent over here. Okay, let's get back to game predictions. TCU and Baylor. 
Big noon kickoff. It is the 12 Eastern kick on Fox. How much did we learn from LSU almost falling to Arkansas last week? Because I got to be real with you, this game feels exactly like that. Remember what happened. Let me refresh everyone's memory. LSU upsets Bama, just like TCU just upset Texas, for example. And everybody's flying high and everyone's talking about what they could do and how far they could go. And then Vegas says, well, you're going to go on the road this week and we're going to favor you by three. And there you go. TCU on the road against Baylor. Baylor just got smashed by Kansas State. And TCU is going on the road and they're favored by two and a half or three, depending on where you look. And some of the same folks who lost their you-know-what on LSU minus three and a half are going to do the exact same thing here with TCU. The difference is TCU may cover. Who knows? That's why we do the game prediction. So it is a back-to-back road spot for them. It is a revenge spot for Baylor. Do you remember this game last year? This was the one where Baylor went on the road and they lost by two. And that was the day TCU did not even have their starter. And that stuck with Dave Aranda. Very, very next week, you know, Baylor comes home and they, what do you know, they upset Oklahoma. We were there for that one. So here's part one for Baylor. <clears throat> you got to do more of what Texas did last week. I mean, Texas ground that TCU offense to a halt. And that's not easy to do. Because even after that's baked in to the statistical profile for TCU, they're still averaging 40.5 a game. So even with that, what, what did they score? 17 or 13 or whatever they scored last week. Even with that, 40.5 per game. Can't have that. Can't Because I cannot count on Baylor to match that. So that's the first thing you need to do. Defensively, got to do a little bit of what Texas did. And number two, this team here, TCU, 13 touchdowns of 50-plus yards. By a mile, that leads FBS. The second closest team has like nine of them. You hear what I said? 13 touchdowns of 50 or more yards, not 20. 50 or more. Quentin Johnson, you're watching him on your screen right now. Uh, enjoy him while he plays on Saturday because the Sunday game's about to get their hooks in him before too much longer. Stats and info comes to me today. And it is paper pop worthy what I'm about to read to you. Max Duggan. So what do you know about him? Well, he's having a phenomenal season. He's playing quarterback for TCU. Golf clap for Max Duggan, okay? But here's where it's time for a round of applause for Max Duggan. He is one of three quarterbacks to start 10-0 with 25-plus touchdowns and three or less turnovers in recent history. We don't even know how far back this goes. The only guys who have done it like this were Mac Jones in 2020 and Justin Fields, I think, in 2019 or something like that. Those guys were really, really, really good. And out of nowhere, from the top rope, from the rafters, here comes Max Duggan in steeing attire saying, you think that's good? Watch what I'm about to do in Fort Worth with a new head coach who doesn't even name me the starting quarterback coming out of fall camp. Yeah, all that's real. All that really happened. We're probably going to see Baylor be surprisingly aggressive. If I just had to guess here, I think they'll be surprisingly aggressive offensively because think about where they are right now. They're in a situation where they've already lost, I think, four games. Um, they, they have underachieved relative to expectation this year. They just got smoked doing it conventionally last week. They've got to try new things. They've got to do things that are unnatural for what they have done so far this year. That's common sense. Okay, you don't even have to know football to understand that. The question is, 
do they get in a situation where they're having to trade points and keep up? Or do they find the ability to slow TCU down? Is it a game played in the upper 20s or the low 40s? I mean, that probably makes all the difference in the world here. As good as TCU is on third and fourth downs, Baylor's defense is bottom 25 nationally. That's what has to change. And in a one-game setting, it can. Not quite as random as turnover margin, but third down conversion percentage. You know, in a one-game setting, your bottom 25 national unit, if you hold them to like 5 of 13 or 4 of 13, yeah, you can end up winning the game. You can end up flipping the game. But that's, uh, that's rough. I mean, they, they give up 45.8% third down conversion percentages. That is very un-Dave Aranda-like. Let's take a look at what the model thinks. The number right now in Vegas, TCU minus 2.5. The model is um, it's feeling what the odds makers are feeling. In fact. We've got TCU minus one and a half. I think that a lot of you look at that and you can't wrap your mind around it because you can't get past what you just saw. And all I can tell you is it is all about regression and progression to the mean. Baylor is not as bad as you saw last week. TCU, probably not quite as good as you saw last week. You just saw one sample of a game. If you've simulated each one of them a thousand times, you saw two outliers worth of results. Having said that, I can't wrap my mind around it either because I don't know how in the world Baylor slows them down and combines a good enough offensive performance to get this done. So if you think TCU is a sucker bet here, I'll be the sucker with you. I'm not actually laying money on it anyway. We're just holding hands and we're going along for the free ride. I'm going to take TCU to win and I'm going to take them to cover in Waco. And that's that. Uh, TCU right now, the minus 140 odds on favorite to win the Big 12 championship. They are highly favored to face Kansas State. That's the matchup we're probably going to get. We've already seen it, by the way, and it was, it was a tale of two halves, wasn't it? Kansas State had a 28-10 lead, and they lost. Yes, so a uh, lot, of, lot of intrigue still left in the Big 12, even at this late hour. All right, I think I need to take a sip here, because this next one is going to be one of the trickiest games. The rest of the year, one of the trickiest games that we predict here. A quick reminder, I told you at the beginning of the show, but for those of you who have come in the door late, uh, the first thing that I need you to do is I need you to click the thumbs up button. Emphatically, I say that. Click the thumbs up button because we're trying to um, well, get as many likes as we can. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the channel. Okay, so Thursday night, I got to fly to LA after the show. We're doing the show a little bit early. We're doing it 6.30 Eastern, 5.30 Central. That concludes the announcement. All right, let's dive into this. Utah is at Oregon Saturday night. This is going to be a war. It is a 10.30 Eastern kickoff. Everyone's done with their evening's plans. You're going to be home. You're going to be able to watch this one. I will probably be able to tune into this one after our game, at least the second half of it. I, I think this is going to be a, it's going to be good. It's going to be really good. There are some things happening here. So pay attention. Let's dive into it because the winner controls their own destiny in the Pac-12. So you don't need other things to happen. You win this game, and you can go to the conference championship game point blank. Do you remember this matchup last year? Even those of you who don't normally bathe in Pac-12 football coverage, I think you remember this last year. Utah goes to Oregon, or Oregon goes to Utah, one of the two. Anyway, they smashed Oregon, 38-7. Then they play like three weeks later, two weeks later, three weeks later in the Pac-12 championship game. 
and it went from 38 to 7 to 38 to 10. And it was just two bloodbaths. Oregon had no shot, got put on skates, total physical mismatch. I know it's not always safe, nor is it even wise to use the last year to this year thing. I just want to remind you this matchup did happen twice last year. Can Utah do to Oregon, though, what Washington did? I got two questions. That's one of them. Washington last week just precisioned their way past Oregon because Oregon ran the ball like they wanted to, and Michael Penix and that offense for Washington still made it second best on that evening. He was 26 of 35, threw for 408 yards. Cam Rising, starting quarterback there for Utah, 4-3 and three as a road starter since 2021. So he's been really good at home. More mixed results on the road. Uh, I was reading some of the coverage out there in Utah. They think this is his last go-around there. He's a fifth-year guy, probably going to test the NFL waters. So you're seeing probably some of the last college football of Cam Rising's career. Dalton Kincaid at tight end has been phenomenal out there. I mean, they had injury at the position, and Kincaid steps up and, and could win all sorts of awards. And he's playing in a Brock Bowers world, by the way. Like, Brock Bowers exists at tight end at Georgia, and Kincaid's still out there kind of holding his own. Another interesting dynamic here, Tavian Thomas is the running back there for Utah. Watch him this weekend. He had a good, he had a good game last week. I think he probably is getting healthy at the right time. He started strong, and then he dipped in production, and he's been banged up. I think they're getting him healthy at the right time is what I would suspect. Now, I asked you, can Utah do enough offensively like Washington did last week? Well, here's the follow-up to that. Will they have to? And I'm not talking about them shutting Oregon down defensively per se. However, I kind of am. The status of a number of these Oregon players is very much up in the air, and one of them's Bo Nix. And I'm not sure we're going to see him Saturday, which would turn this game sideways. So that's not me confirming anything, but there, there are some whispers out of, the, out of Oregon where it's going to be either game time or you may not get to see Bo Nix. And if you don't, I don't like the position that puts Oregon in, obviously. So Bo Nix, if you don't have him, you are heavily leaning on your running game. And Utah leads the Pac-12 in total defense. They lead the Pac-12 in third down defense. They lead the Pac-12 in fourth down defense. So it could be tough sledding there. Now, if Nix is able to go, that is a different story, but I, it's very much up in the air right now, from what I can tell. So what does the model think about this, Colin? Well, the money line right now is Oregon minus 155, Utah plus 130. The spread is Oregon minus three. We have, well, that's the wrong capsule. So I, uh, sounded, that sounded a little rude. Colin punches the show like phenomenally every night. And the first time he hits a little, he hits, he hits what we call a sausage finger in there, which is where you press two buttons. So the Utah line here, their plus three, model has the wrong team favored. Like our model has Utah at minus one, whereas Vegas has Oregon minus three. That is without the Bo Nix injury possibility being baked in. So Oregon minus three is the Caesars line. We already like Utah minus one. If I'm considering the possibility that they are either playing with a very limited Bo Nix or without him, I got to roll with Utah. I'm just going to follow the model here. because if they, if they have him, my point is, if they have him, the model still thinks Utah's got an excellent shot here. If they don't, I, along with the model, think they have an excellent shot. So 
I, I'm going to somewhat blindly roll with Utah to win the game outright. And right now, the odds to win the Pac-12 championship, as I told you a few minutes ago, it's dead even. There are three teams there, USC, Oregon, and Utah, and they're just they're kind of all sitting there with pretty much equal shots, and UCLA's uh, a little ways back. But keep an eye on that Bo Nick situation. I mean, that's, that's huge. That's a really, really big deal out there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We had a couple of questions that were submitted. Let me make sure I have both of them here. Yeah, I got both of them. So I'm going to do a couple of questions, and then I got one, two, three. I got four added best bets for you tonight. I can assure you everyone's going to have an opinion on these questions. Uh, they're, they're loaded, very loaded questions. Okay, first up, let's go to the state of Texas. David wants to know, how will Texas and Texas A&M get back on track with Jimbo and Sark in charge. So I've been asked this a fair amount lately. I've been asked about what the futures of these programs look like with these guys in charge. And every time they lose, it, it's familiar. It's a familiar refrain. I got to be clear with you. I don't think that these are comparable situations. Broad strokes, yeah, they've both underachieved relative to expectation. But only Texas A&M to me has disastrously underachieved this year. Like Texas, to me, Sark's getting a lot of heat because you don't want to blame the mirror. Like they went five and seven last year. Right now they're tracking, well, they're already better than that. And so they will finish better than that. So Steve Sarkeesian is guaranteed now to have a better season this year than they did last year. Where he's getting heat is, yeah, they've, they've had some ugly showings. I don't deny that. But he's getting heat because a lot of folks picked him to win the Big 12. A lot of folks were just higher on him. I, I have famously feuded with the JP poll because our model has been sky high on Texas. But the thing about it is they go to Kansas this week. They got Baylor next week. If they even win one of those games, much less two of them, they're either 7-5 and five or 8-4. and four. You're talking about a two- or a three-game improvement from last year. That is, while it may not be what you wanted in year two, that is not failure. That is not disastrous failure. Texas A&M is horrific this year. They are awful. They are not even close to bowl consideration. UConn, Jim Mora Jr., those folks are going to a bowl and a and going to sit at home and watch them. It's, dis ugh, it's gross. And so you've got one situation where the tires are flat and you've got another situation where the tires aren't there. Where are the tires? It's sitting on cinder blocks. It's apples and bowling balls. It's totally different situations. To me, I look at Texas, and I think they are tweaks away. They are adjustments away. A&M has got to strip the thing down and start from scratch. I don't mean the program, by the way. I mean the philosophy. They've just got to overhaul philosophically, and so that is where the future focus is. Not too far down the road either. Like, think about where we are. Right now, it's November 15th. They're, they got two games left. 
They've got, I think, UMass, and they got LSU, and that's it. There's no bowl game. So their version of the offseason starts in two weeks, less than 14 days from now. If he's making changes, they're going to come pretty quick. And so what changes are we talking about? I, I got a little tidbit for you, actually, when it comes to A&M. Uh, it has nothing to do with the football program. It has everything to do with our show and College Station. I'll tell you in a second. So everybody in College Station has convinced themselves, partially out of hope, that Jimbo Fisher knows what needs to happen. I've spoken to some folks close to the program recently, and that's exactly what they say. Bro, I, I, Jimbo knows, like he knows what needs to happen. And look, I hope that's true. Because what you're talking about is hiring an offensive coordinator. To be clear, everyone out there who's unclear on that, the hope and the belief is, okay, it's a disaster this year. That is going to prompt Jimbo to hire an offensive coordinator and delegate control, play calling, whatever the case may be, and be more of a CEO. I think that that would be an excellent move. I think it is a necessary, mandatory move. But when I say mandatory and necessary, I mean for them to be good. I don't mean it's necessary or else Jimbo's gone because he gets that buyout no matter what. He can go knock off a convenience store in broad daylight. You're still giving him that buyout. There is no clause. Like there's no, well, he didn't try hard enough. Nope. That's the deal you agreed on. And so it's not mandatory for him to change a thing. But he has to if he wants to win. Now, the simple question that will remain unanswered for at least a couple more weeks is, does he, does he, scratch that, he knows it. Does he feel it? Because no one looks at the production out there and says, yep, this is good enough, not even Jimbo. Has he convinced himself that it's a lot more on him than just lack of player execution? Or does he really still believe, nope, the plays are there to be had, our guys just aren't executing enough? And what I say in response to that is Tennessee doesn't execute perfectly every week either. They still hang 45 or 50. I guarantee you when Josh Heupel and his staff go into film sessions on Sunday, they do not grade their offensive performance at 100%. They do not put green all over that sheet. There's a lot of red. There are a lot of correctables. They're scoring 45 and 50 in the process of being imperfect. Jimbo's struggling the top 20 and, and he's sitting there saying, we have to be perfect just to be better than this. It doesn't work. It's a non-starter. So I can't answer anything because I don't know where he's going to go. But with Sark, I, like I saw, I was over on Horns 24-7 earlier today, and there's a pretty deep thread over there asking whether Sark needs to hire an OC. No, he doesn't need to hire an OC. You got the, one of the best to me in the country. My mind doesn't change on that just because they struggled against TCU or you got a couple of examples this year of games where they didn't hang a huge crooked number. I still think the world of the guy as a play caller, uh, philosophically, I love his offense. I don't think we've seen the full version of it because they're not at quarterback what they need to be, candidly. Now, is that on them? Sure. Is it on Quinn Ewers to a degree? Sure. Is he a first-year starter? Yeah, that's also true. So it may just be that they're a lot better next year. I'm selling next year with Texas already, by the way. But I don't view these as the same. But I will tell you this, 2023, one way or the other, is going to be a show-me year for a lot of big-time coaches out there. And we're talking about two of them. I can make the case for Jimbo. Make the staff changes. We're good in 2023. I can make the case for Sark. Just keep progressing. Just, just keep trending upwards. 
And in, if we're in the nine or 10 win category or better next year, all's well. What I can't do for either of these guys is settle for another five or six win season. Just split the difference. That's kind of where they are right now. I can't sell that in 2023. I can't. There's too much on the line. Texas is about to head to the SEC. A&M's already in the thick of it, and they're the worst team in the SEC this year. Worst. There is no record worse than that. I can't sell subpar performance in 2023 and then try and sell you 2024. I can't do that. So I don't even want to get that far down the road. Uh, as for the tidbit, I, Colin, that's your, that's, so, so, so that's the end of the segment. Colin, cut, boom, okay. I'm telling him, basically, we, we edit this in post, and you see the individual videos on YouTube, but not everything that we say on the show goes in the individual videos. There are some things that you just have to watch the live show to get. Like this, for example. I think most of you pretty well know that we're going to go to the Ohio State-Michigan game for the Every Given Saturday Tour regular season finale. I think that's pretty well decided, so that's not shocking anyone. With that in mind, you also know Thanksgiving is next week. You probably also know we have partnered with Verbo for some obligations this year, and one of those is coming up next week. You didn't know that. The travel schedule? is about to be the most hellacious thing you have ever heard and you have ever seen us go through here. We love it, but let me, let me lay out for you what's about to happen. I fly to LA Thursday. We got USC, UCLA. I red-eye back here Saturday night, 11.59 takeoff from LAX, by the way. And we're in Nashville the next morning to do the Sunday night show. The Monday, the next morning, I fly to Houston because we're going to be down there for two days filming some things for Verbo. I'm going to be in College Station Tuesday. And we are going to do Late Kick Live from the Texags studio. Called up our buddies over there. Billy, we need the studio. All right, I'll take care of it, man. I got it. And so I'm excited to meet a lot of those guys. Some of them I've met, some of them I haven't. So we're going to be at the Texags studio. Then I fly from Houston, Texas to Columbus, Georgia. Get a little Thanksgiving in. Fly to Columbus, Ohio from Columbus, Georgia. Hoops Amongst Us has done to the Columbus, Columbus route, by the way. Do that Friday morning to go to Ohio State, Michigan. Fly back to Nashville that night for the Sunday show, and then head down to Atlanta because we'll be doing SEC Championship Week coverage from there. When do you sleep? I don't know. Do we eat anything other than fast food? I don't know. Do you find a gym? Probably not, but that's the next week or two. So anyway, I said all that to tell you we're, we're doing the Tuesday show from College Station next week. And I happen to know that Texags is located right across the street from Kyle Field. So open invitation, you know, if Jimbo Fisher who we have a storied track record with on this program, if he feels like coming on the show. It's a short walk. Come on over. I don't think we'll get an answer to that request or invitation. Uh, the next question here is a good one uh, because I've hinted about this a few times. Beth asked if we're turned off by the direction the transfer portal and NIL have taken the sport. Am I turned off by it? I can't lie to you, Beth. Yeah, I am in some ways. I don't like how relationships don't mean as much anymore. And I'm going to get flack about this because I always do. And it's not that I care about it. I just want to state sometimes, I know what you're going to say before you say it. So when I tell you my feelings on this, I'm not anti-player. I'm not against guys getting money. I do not think it's been done like this forever. That's one of the familiar refrains. Oh, it's always been done. Now it's just legal. No. 
No. What's happening in college football right now has not always been done. And what you're about to see after this regular season, when a large swath of this sport simultaneously enters the portal, you will no longer be able to look at me and say, oh, it always happened. Now, you want to tell me cash changed hands from time to time? You want to tell me money sometimes influenced a kid's decision? And you want to tell me that it was done illegally? I'm a realist. I understand. I probably know more stories than you do about that. Nothing on par with the current state of this sport had always happened. Not even remotely in the same galaxy of what's happening right now has always happened. So you can save that. And no, while I'm on this subject, coaches don't get away with doing the same thing. Coaches do not move every year penalty-free. Coaches have contracts. The fact is most of them don't move every year. And if they do, there's a penalty to be paid. There is what is called a buyout in a contract. Okay, so they are locked into a school. And if they want to go somewhere else, someone is going to pay that school because a buyout has to be paid. Players aren't under that kind of structure. The response to that is, yeah, they're not employees. Well, I think there's coming a day where we probably find a little happy middle ground there. But that's down the road. I just wanted to acknowledge, before you even go down those roads, before you even start white knighting for what you don't even understand, I already know. I, I can make your argument for you better than you can and then silence it. So save me on that. Let's move on. No, I don't necessarily love it, Beth. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a huge fan of what's happening with the portal. I'm not a huge fan of knowing that as soon as we end this regular season, thousands, I am not hyperbolic there, by the way, thousands of players are about to be in the transfer portal. And a lot of them are not moving for what I personally would call the right reasons. Everybody can have their own reasons. Kids are totally free. It's their life. It's not my life. But when I said the relationship aspect, it used to be, not too long ago, that recruiting and development went hand in hand with the relationship aspect between coaching staff, coach, and not only player, but family. In an ideal world, that's the way the structure worked. And that's really out the window. It is, it is very much a bottom line, here's what I can get elsewhere. Can you offer me that? If you can't, I'm gone. And the thing about it is what is attracting you to another location has nothing to do with relationships at all. I'm not bemoaning this from a dollars and cents standpoint. I told you the other day, I'm, I'm not under an illusion here. I know that this is the peak earnings period for most of these kids in their life. They are in a position right now, because most of them won't play pro football. So most of them are in a position right now that they'll never be the rest of their life. Because the fact of the matter is, it's really hard to elevate yourself in any society to where you warrant six-figure or maybe seven-figure consideration. It's just hard to do. Uh, there, there are not very many jobs out there that pay that. And it's hard to get you one of them. And so you got one right now. They don't call it a job, but it's a job. And if you want to go make as much as you can, I understand it. I don't ever blame kids because the kids are not the one who made the structure. Um, not bending on revenue sharing 10, 15 years ago is what made this, truth be told. But I think ultimately, whether it's the transfer portal or whether it's NIL, ultimately, if you want anything fixed, if you want things reined in, as I've told you before, Beth, and I'll, I'll say it again, this is not falling on the NCAA. They're powerless anyway to stop this, but it's not falling on the NCAA. If this ever 
is reined in and there's more structure inserted, I've told you two things I think have to happen. Number one, conferences have to step up and understand they've got more authority than the NCAA ever has in this matter. And number two, and this is just the way I see it, there is no world where you're entering into these multi-billion dollar media rights deals and going to convince anyone players don't deserve a chunk of that. In the world we're in now especially, like if you want structure, if you want guys to agree to a minimum of two years or whatnot, if you, in other words, if you don't want it to be the wild, wild west, you can't have that massive bag of cash over here that you're making because of them playing on Saturday and say, no, that's ours. Well, okay, then what they're going to say come transfer portal season is, I'm going to go get mine. If you're not going to give me some of yours, I'm going to go get mine. So if you want a little trade-off, in another world, this will be called collective bargaining. We can't use that term for obvious reasons. But there is coming a day, I believe, where conferences face the reality that we got all of this excess over here in the way of media rights money. Revenue sharing would probably solve a lot of this. Because you can guarantee a kid more through revenue sharing than 95% of them could ever hope to attain through NIL. The Bryce Youngs, the CJ Strouds, those are aliens. Those are different. But 95 plus percent of rosters are kids that right now could be enticed by 10 or 15 grand. And if you distribute that media rights revenue properly, 10 or 15 grand is no longer going to be enough to allure a kid because they're getting more than that just because of the conference they play in. That is your answer. If you really want to rein it in and you really want kids to work together with you, work together with them. I don't speak as if this is utopian, but it is realistic. And you didn't go down this road 10 or 15 years ago when you had the opportunity. And so here you are. You held on to every penny. Instead of giving up a little bit, you were penny wise and pound foolish. Shannon Terry used to always say that around here. Do not be penny wise and pound foolish. It's one of my favorite sayings, Aver. I still repeat it to this day. And college football was penny wise and pound foolish. And now here you are. Don't worry. I think there'll be an answer. You'll just be a little lighter in the wallet if you, if you choose to entertain that. Okay, we do not want to be light in the wallet. We want to be heavy in the wallet. And we are after last week. And we want that to continue. Feels good to make money. We want to make more of it. Ramen Noodle Express, we're already on one game. And that is Penn State minus 19 and a half. I got four more to add. Here we go. Louisville. We did not bet them last week. They played Clemson. They lost. That's fine. We think we have them at a good number this week. We're taking Louisville, minus four. We are taking Nebraska again. We rode the Huskers last week. We're going to take them again, plus 13. We are betting the University of Nashville, otherwise known as Vanderbilt, and they are plus 14. Now, full disclosure, and this is just where my ethics shine through, there's a 14 and a half out there. One book has 14 and a half. I made an executive decision. I don't think it's fair for me to hand out 14 and a half because the consensus number is not 14 and a half. So I grabbed 14 and a half and most of you in states where it's legal can grab 14 and a half right now. My prediction of record, our bet of record will be Vandy plus 14. And finally, that Utah game, since there are three still out there and I'm questionable about Bo Nix, I'm taking Utah plus three. And we're going to add that one onto the Ramen Noodle Express. Oh, and Akron, by the way. Yeah, go ahead and put that up, Colin, because I forgot to write that on my sheet. Akron plus 14 and a half. Please make sure you get that right number. 
and Utah plus three. So here are the games we're on now. Penn State minus 19 and a half, Louisville minus four, Nebraska plus 13, Vandy plus 14, Akron plus 14 and a half, Utah plus three. Uh, we're going to have several more, maybe on the Thursday show, certainly by Friday night Lions time. Feels good to say this. Live from Southern California, Friday night Lions. I didn't think this show was going to go an hour tonight, but it did. All right, appreciate you guys. Make sure you like this video on the way out and make sure, I mean make sure, you are doing everything in your power to get us to 150,000 subs by, what, Sunday? Sunday's fair. Sunday's more than fair. Frankly, I think we could do it by Thursday, but Sunday's fair. And then we get to enter into the fun-filled equation of figuring out what your prize is. I will offer suggestions. Ultimately, it's up to you. The only thing off limits is Colin does not feel like doing a face reveal for a mere 150,000 subs. He thinks that's more in the million subs territory, and I don't blame him. So let him live his life, and you live your life. Just make sure part of your life is subscribing to the channel. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, for Producer Belchie, I'm Josh Pate. We'll be back earlier Thursday, 6.30 Eastern, 5.30 Central. Until then, take care, and God bless.